It's great to see you today. Happy Easter. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. You know, Easter is all about change. God took the worst possible situation and turned it into the best possible thing that could ever happen. The worst possible situation would be that a group of people would murder Jesus, a good man that was teaching great things. The best possible situation out of that is what it means for you and I. What some people meant to do for evil, God was using for the good. As you read through the scriptures, you find out that God is a triune God. There's one God, but he's experienced his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God himself comes to earth as a man, and he's willing, he willingly took your sins and my sins upon himself and died paying off the penalty. So he's saying, I paid the penalty. You're forgiven. And that's why we all rejoice about what he did. Because now, no matter who you are or what you've done, you're forgiven. He paid the price. His resurrection showed that he conquered sin. He conquered death. He came back to life. He claimed to be God. His coming back to life proved that he is who he said he was. So because of this, every Easter, everybody throughout the world, billions of people actually throughout the world will show up to a worship service to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And it's impacted us so much that it's become the focal point of all of history. Think about it. How many times this week did you write down the, the number 2018? If you wrote a check, 2018. How many times did you do that, writing a date? Well, 2018 years from what? From Jesus. They base it from there. When you say, oh, that was in 500 B.C., 500 years before what? Before Jesus. Jesus has become the focal point of the whole world. Everything is dated around his existence. And his life and what he did changed lives in the past. And here we are 2,018 years later, and it changed my life. And it changed most people's lives here, the way I live. He turned me around. That idea of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, it changes the way I live. It changes the way I see things. It changes the way I react. Something that he taught 2,018 years ago or so. In Romans 5.10, it says this. If we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, by the way, without Jesus dying for our sins, that means we're accountable for every bad thing we've ever done. And we'd have to meet our maker with all everything I've ever done wrong. I'm glad that I'm on friendly terms with him. I'm glad that you're on friendly terms with God. And it wasn't because you're so good. It's because God is so good. If we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now just think how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Because when you see him come back to life, it changes you. It builds your faith. Their lives were so changed by the resurrection that they even gave up their jobs and went into poverty, going from town to town, city to city, trying to spread the good news of what God had done. 
as you read through scripture, you find out that Easter is not for religious people. It never has been. It was never meant to be. Because Jesus never came for religious people. Jesus has no interest in that. He has an interest in a relationship. It's not about religion, rituals, rules, these regulations. Look at what he said himself. This is Jesus' words in Luke. Jesus said, I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. It's about changing your life. See, a lot of times people think about religion being rules, regulations, rituals, all these things. And Jesus said, I didn't come for that. I came so that I could have a personal relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. He wants to be on friendly terms with us. He desires that. Can you imagine the God of the universe wants to be your friend? We think like, oh, he's out there. I hope he doesn't zap me. And he's saying, you don't understand me. I want to be your friend. I'm not here to zap you. That's not the God of the Bible. Easter is a God's invitation to change, to change me, to change you. And you know what that does? That changes your relationships. If God changes me, it changes how I respond to my marriage. If God changes me, it changes how I respond to my kids. If God changes me, it, it changes how I respond at work. It changes how I respond to everything. It's all about life change. We're going to be doing something over the next few weeks. Some of you are here because I sent out a postcard. I'm so glad that you showed up. On this postcard today, we're talking about let Easter resurrect your relationships. How does that start? First, by him changing me. Today, that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to say, you can have the best relationships you've ever dreamed of for marriage, for friendship, whatever. You can have the best relationships you've ever dreamed of if you allow God to really change your heart. If you submit yourself to him, watch what will happen in your relationships, in your friendships, in everything that you can imagine. Today, the focus is you. God wants to start with you. Let's say that I want to have a great marriage. Well, God says, okay, it's going to take some work. And I'm saying, yes, go fix that lady and get her right. I say, no, 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 you don't understand. It's going to take some work. I'm going to work on you. You want me to work on her and change her? I want to change you. If you want to have a great marriage, if you want to have great relationships, it starts with you. God has to make some changes in your life. Here's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Uh, next week, finding the love of your life. You say, well, I'm already married. How is that going to relate to me? I'm not trying to encourage you to find somebody else. <laughs> if you are single, this is going to really relate to you. But if you're married, it's going to really relate to you. The things I'm going to bring out are going to be things that you're going to say, wow, I need to implement this into my marriage. Into my marriage. Because sometimes you don't feel like you're married to the love of your life. When you married them, that's what you felt. But the honest truth is, we go through problems in life, and you might say, I believe in my head that that was supposed to be the love of my life. Or maybe you don't believe it anymore. Maybe you don't believe it anymore. I'm going to give you the tools to help that marriage be the best it can be. And those same tools are going to be used if you're single to help you find the love of your life. How about this one? The week after that, when you've married the wrong person. We all did that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever felt like, you know, I married the wrong person? I've felt like that. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some tools to help you work through that. If you haven't 
felt like the person you married was the wrong person, you're probably a newlywed. <laughs> but you'll get there, believe me. <laughs> so I'm going to give you some tools to make that work. How about this one, the next one? Pull together when you're pulled apart. There are so many things in this world that pulls you apart in your marriage. I was, I was talking last week a little bit about, I really feel for the people in the military. You talk about being pulled apart where one person has to go overseas, sometimes for six months or something. How difficult is that on a marriage? But there's all kinds of things that pull you apart. How do you deal with that? How can you increase your love even in a situation where you're being pulled apart? The longer you've been married, the more chance that time's going to go by where you're going to be in a situation that's going to pull you apart. Not just location, but emotionally and all kinds of things. We're going to talk about some tools there that will help you have a great marriage and relationships as well with that. Fanning the flame of romance. Sometimes you feel like as the time has gone by, you've lost those loving feelings. The romance just isn't there anymore. I used to be so excited to be with her, to be with him, and now it's like, what happened? We're going to talk about how to keep romance in your relationship, how to bring it back. How about this one? When a marriage ends, over 50% of our population has been through a divorce. I've been through a divorce. It devastated me. To me, that was the worst experience I've ever gone through. Say, if you're saying, well, I haven't gone through a divorce, that's not going to relate to me. What you're going to learn is how to make sure it doesn't happen to you. <laughs> what can I do to make sure I don't go through a divorce or don't go through a divorce again? You know, because you go through a divorce, you can go through it again if you don't learn the right tools. If you're single, you should be here every week and just taking all these notes because you're going to be saved a lot of headache that the rest of us went through because you're going to learn from our mistakes. And then the next one is how to stay in love. How to stay in love. Don't you want to have a love that lasts a lifetime? I do. I want to have a love that lasts a lifetime. How to stay in love. I'm going to share tools like that with you. You might say even like, I don't believe I'm ever going to get married again. That's not the direction that I'm heading uh, in my life. I just don't want to head there anymore. If you have any people that you influence, you need this. Because in our culture, families are bro broken down. There's a lot of pain and hurt out there. And almost everybody that I'm counseling with that has some sort of emotional problem, it's about a relationship. That's what it's about. So if you just love people, you want to learn this. It's going to relate to your friendships. I'll be talking a lot about marriage, but it's going to relate to friendship, boyfriend, girlfriend. It's going to relate to every kind of relationship you have, the principles will work if you apply them. So my desire is to bless you and give you the very best over these next few weeks. And so I hope that you'll be here. I hope that you plan right now. I'm going to find a way to be here. We're here every Sunday at 9.30 or 11 o'clock. Just plan. I'm going to make sure I'm here. Now, today we're talking about how Easter can resurrect your relationships, focusing on me. What do I need to do to change how can I be the type of person that I need to be? In 1997, that was a really great year in golf for Tiger Woods. You might not remember, but that was his first year in golf. In that year, he won the Masters. He won four other tournaments. 
brand new. He won $2 million in prize money. He won $60 million in endorsements. Incredible. Like, what a great start. $62 million. And he goes to his coach and says, I think I can be better. I want to change my swing. Come on. If you just made $62 million with that swing, don't change it. Don't change it. You've got it. Something that you're doing is right. But he knew it could be better. And what I like about him is he was saying, I'm not satisfied with being good if I can be better. I'm not satisfied with being great if I can be better. Because if you can have better, why settle for less? So he spent the next 19 months really trying to change his swing. And he kind of had a little bit of a drought there. He wasn't having the success that he was having before. And then in that 19-month period, he only won one tournament. But he was perfecting the swing. When he got it together, it took him time. And then he got on a roll. In the next 14 tournaments, he won 10. He won six in a row. He's the first pro golfer to ever have all the four major titles in golf at the same time. He was already great, but he knew he could be better. There's people in this room that, says, that would say, my relationships are good. I've got a good job. I've got a good life. I'm a good person. Things are good. Things might even feel great. And I'm here to tell you, they can even be better. They can be better. And God wants you to have the best. Don't let good be good enough. Strive for the very best that you can be. And my desire is to give you the very best for your life. And you will grow and you'll learn things that will make a difference. Sometimes what we try to do is we say, I need to change. I really need to change. What I'm doing isn't working, so I need to change. So I change my hair. Or I change the car I drive. It's all external things. God wants to change you from the inside out. Not just your image, but your character. Who am I? What kind of person am I? That's what Easter's about. God wants to change your heart, and then that will come out in other ways. So how can I be better? How can I be the best that I can be? In your notes, have some fill in the blanks. You can fill in the blank here. The first thing I want to talk about is open your mind to God's power. Change the way you think. Open your mind to God's power. In Romans 12, 2, it says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. In other words, you don't change by trying harder because if you did, every New Year's resolution that you made, you would have followed through. Do you know the average person gives up on their New Year's resolution in two weeks? If you had willpower, you would say, I'm going to change this and it changed, and I'm going to change this and it changed. I change this. You know what? We try real hard for a week or two, then we get tired and we give up. We don't have lasting change. We don't have the power to do it. So we need a power greater than ourselves. I talk to people all the time in our church, people that are in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. And what do they need? What's a key thing that helps them to make the change? Well, one of them is I had to rely on a power greater than myself. Now, if you don't have an addiction and you're struggling changing and someone has an addictive behavior, 
But because they rely on God's power, they're changing. That should say something. That should say something. There are so many people that have struggled with change until they relied on a power greater than themselves. We know that's Christ. We know that's Jesus. We know that's God. So I have to open my mind to God's power. God can't help me change if I refuse to believe that he has the power to. He can't help me change if I'm not willing to rely on him and trust him. So I have to open up my mind to the possibility, first of all, that God's there, that God loves me, that God does care. He knows everything about me, and he still loves me anyway. That's amazing. And that God wants to help me, and that he has the power to help me. And if I tap into that power, I can make changes that I could never make before. I just couldn't do it. I had to open up my mind to God, to him being real, to him making it possible. I talk to people all the time who say they're open-minded. They do. I'll even ask them, you seem like you might be an open-minded person. Are you pretty open-minded? And they say, oh, yeah, I'm very open-minded. They pride themselves in being open-minded. And they're sharing with me about a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband and wife, and I see it falling apart. And I see the things that they're saying, and then I'll say something to them. Have you prayed about it? Have you brought God into it? Talk to God about it. Have you plugged into his power to change you? And they have a blank stare on their face like I'm from another planet. Like what? God? God? Doesn't God help those who help themselves? Well, Ben Franklin said that. That's not in the Bible. God says, I'll help you because you can't help yourself. Rely on my power. The areas that you can do, go ahead and do that. I'll help you in the areas you can't do. That no matter how much you try to help yourself, you don't have a chance. So you're relying on God's power, and he'll make the difference. In Ephesians 4.18, it says, Many are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds against him so they can't understand his ways. What happens is we shut our minds against God. We refuse to believe that he can change my life. So we don't change. We don't open up our minds to the possibility that maybe God's big enough to handle this, and maybe I can trust him And maybe God can help me change this marriage. Help me change this relationship with my son or daughter. Help me change my relationship with my parents. Maybe I can't do it because I've tried and what I've done hasn't worked. But maybe God's big enough. And if I don't open up my mind to believing that, I won't even try. There's no way that you will try to get God's help unless you're open to it. If you're willing to have faith and say, I believe God can do it. Okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. But you'll never try if you don't really believe. Why is it? What is it that closes our mind to God? Usually it's hurt. Something happened in my life, and I feel hurt. And if God was a loving God, he would never allow this to happen to me. So we have hurt. And what happens when hurt hangs on? When you hang on to hurt, you start feeling bitter. So that hurt develops a bitterness toward God. We want to blame God for the pains I've gone through. Whether it's God's fault or not, we somehow think he should have rescued us. So we blame him. And sometimes we don't even blame the people that caused the hurt. 
but we blame God. But hurt is the number one thing that makes people close their mind to God, not knowing that God's the one source that can take away the hurt. God's the one source that can take away the bitterness. The, the avenue to your healing is what you're against, and you close your mind to him. Also, pride. Pride can cause us to close our mind to God because pride says, I want to do it my way. God, I, I read the Bible. I know what you said to do, but God, no, God, I've got this handled. You know, I'm going to handle it my way, God. So pride closes us off to God. The other one is fear. Fear closes us off to God. You know, I'm afraid that if I really said, okay, God, I'm going to give, you, I'm going to give my life to you 100%. I'm just going to go 100%. He'll turn me into one of those religious nuts that I see on TV. There's no way I want to become like that. You know, I've seen people that, that say, I've really gone 100% for God, and they get weird, you know, and I wouldn't want that either. You know, God's not interested in turning you into a weirdo, you know, but God's interested in changing your heart and your life. Now, if you're weird and he changes your life, you're still going to be weird. (laughs) But the point is, God wants to change your heart. He doesn't want to turn you into some sort of Jesus freak or something weird. But a lot of people are afraid to go for God because they're just afraid he's going to do something. Like he'll make me be a missionary in some country where I don't want to go. So I'm not going to say yes to God because yes means yes. And he'll, then he's got, I got you. <laughs> I'm going to make you pay for that. No. You know what God's going to do is he's going to make you the best you that you can be. That's all he's going to do. He's going to make you the best you that you can be if you open up your mind and heart to him. See, what seems impossible to change in, in your relationship is, is possible with God. Maybe you have a bad habit that's ruining your marriage or relationship. Or maybe you have out-of-control anger and you just can't change. Or maybe it's you have no patience, so you exaggerate all the time and it becomes a problem or you have no self-discipline. There's all types of things that could be hindering you that you say, I try to change. I try to change, but I just can't. You know, I've tried, and it's not making a difference. Maybe it's like, I don't think I'll ever get married, and you're depressed. Or maybe I'll never get remarried. Or I'll never be able to forget what she did to me or what he did to me. Or I'll never be able to forgive them. I'll never be able to have this change. I'll never be able to have a fresh start. There's a lot of things that in your mind that you just can't see an answer to. Open yourself up to the possibility of God. God can do it. What seems so big in your mind isn't too big for God. God has changed relationships year after year after year after year. What makes yours so incredibly difficult for him to change? He's done it over and over. God has changed lives over and over. God can do it. Put your faith in him being big enough to handle it. And watch what happens when you start living with that type of faith. Watch what happens in the relationships you have. In Ephesians 7, 19 and 20, it says, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. He's saying, the same power that raised Christ from the dead 
is the same power that can raise a dead marriage, a dead friendship, a dead relationship. You might be saying, I haven't talked with my mom for 12 years. God can heal that relationship. Uh, I haven't talked to that friend for 15 years. God can heal that relationship. What seems so dead, God has the ability to bring alive. If you trust him, if you open up your mind to the possibility that he's big enough to do it. It's understanding God's greatness. If I choose not to understand God's greatness, I won't have the victories that I want to have. If I choose to see who God is, trust him, watch what happens when you take steps in that area. And God will be big enough to make changes that you never thought were possible. Next in your note, notes, open your heart to God's grace. Open your hearts to God's grace. So I, op- I first opened up my mind to God, to the possibility of God. Okay, with God in the picture, I can do this. Now you open up your heart to God's grace. What is grace? We say grace is unmerited favor, but it's really much broader than that. I don't know if you could even put it in a, in a definition. Grace is God forgiving me before I even ask. Grace is God saying, come home. I'm not mad at you. Grace is God giving me a second chance. Grace is God's power to change my life. Grace is God allowing us to have air to breathe. Because that's a free gift that we didn't earn. That's what grace is. It's a free gift that we don't earn. None of us earned the right to breathe air. It's a free gift. Food that we eat, all that's a free gift. Us having a life. None of us made a choice to be born, but it's a gift of God. And by the way, being alive is a gift. It's a gift from God. Some people say, well, you haven't seen my life. It hasn't been much of a gift. No, it's a gift from God. And God wants to do great things in your life and through your life if you allow him. But part of that is opening up your life to God's grace. The problem is we don't experience grace a lot in this world. We don't. Dave Hagler, he used to be a referee and an umpire. He wrote this little article in the LA Times. I just thought it was funny relating to grace. He said, I was driving too fast in the snow one day in Boulder, Colorado, where a policeman pulled me over and gave me a speeding ticket. I tried to talk him out of it by telling him how worried I was about my insurance going up and what a careful driver I normally was. I begged him for grace. Do you think the police officer gave it to him? (laughs) But he said, if I didn't like it, I could go to court. The first game of the next baseball season, I was umpiring behind home plate, and the first batter up was that same policeman. I recognized him, and he recognized me. He nervously asked me, how did things go with your ticket? I just stared at him. Then I told him, you better swing at everything. (laughs) I guess he didn't give him grace either, huh? But sometimes that's how the world is. You know, we don't get, we don't receive grace and we definitely don't give it back as well. But God wants to show you grace. Like I was saying, that next breath that you have. God has grace. He loves you. He wants to give you good things, and not because you deserve it. It's not because you deserve it. We don't go to heaven because we deserve it. 
And yet at the same time, you can know without a doubt that you're going to heaven. Know without a doubt. Hey, I'm going to heaven. Then you say, well, you sure are arrogant to think that you, can, that you know you're going to heaven. It's not arrogance. Think about this. If you get to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, it has nothing to do with me. It's not about me reaching God. The whole message is God reached me. See, I can put my faith in that. I would be a fool to put my faith in me being good enough to reach God. I cannot. I cannot. I'd be an idiot to think, I am so cool. I reached God. There's no way. I can never reach God. But he can reach me. That's grace. I didn't earn it. He just did it. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's a free gift. God was good enough to reach you even though you were never good enough to reach him. God's grace is amazing. Look at Ephesians 1.8. God has showered upon us the richness of his grace, for he understands us and knows what is best for us at all times. There's a lot of times I don't know what's best for me. I've learned that I don't try to figure out other people's motives. You know, sometimes I'm like, well, why did they do this? And you think you know their motives. I can't because half the time I don't even know my motive. If I can't figure out my motive sometimes, how am I going to figure out your motive for why he did this or for why she did that? You know, but I know this. God knows. God knows, and God knows my motive, and God knows what's best for me. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, but God knows. And the Bible says he knew you before you were born, before you ever took that first breath. He knew you. He already knew you. He loved you. He wanted to be in a relationship with you. I just find it mind-boggling that God knows everything about me and still loves me anyway. To me, that, wow, God really is loving. Because sometimes we feel like if everybody else knew everything about me, they might not love me anymore. But God knows everything about me, and he still loves me. He still loves you. Sometimes we think we have to help God out with his grace. Man, have you ever bought your wife, like, hey, I'm going to bless my wife. I'm going to buy her a cleaning service where, um, you know, because a lot of times I find, unfortunately, a lot of times this might not be fair, but it seems like the women are doing more of the housework than the guys, okay? So a guy will say something like, you know, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to have a house cleaner come in every Thursday and clean the house to give you a break. And then your wife wakes you up on Thursday morning and says, hurry up and get up and let's clean the house. What? Today's the day that she comes. Yeah, but I don't want her to think we're a bunch of slobs. <laughs> Sometimes we think we have to help out with the free gift. I'm saying, wait a minute. This is not what I was expecting. It's become more work for me than it was before. You know, sometimes we do that with God. We think, oh, you know, I've got to get things cleaned up first before he comes. No. God already knows you're good and you're bad. God already knows the embarrassing stuff. He knows the stuff that you're ashamed of. You know, and he loves you and he cares. And you don't have to clean up your act to get to God. But what God will do is if you come to him just as you are and say, God, okay, as messed up as I am, I'm trusting in your forgiveness. I'm believing that you said I'm forgiven because of what you've done, even though sometimes I'm a mess. I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you. And I'm going to allow you to change me. And you know what? Let him clean you up. 
let him clean you up. Don't think that you have to have it all together to go to God. He will change you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you when you put your faith in him. That means God is working in you to help you to change. God wants to help you. You're not alone. In Romans 3.22, it says, God says he will accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way by coming to Christ no matter who we are or what we have been like. Some people say, well, Jamie, you don't know what I've done. doesn't matter. He knows and he declares you not guilty simply because of you putting your faith in him. I don't care if you're Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Baptist, Buddhist, or whatever. It's not about religion. God wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He wants you to love him. The whole thing is like I was saying earlier. It's about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing religious about it. That's why if you read the Bible, who was the group of people that killed Jesus? The religious leaders. Because he was teaching something that was going to draw them away from their religion. Because they were teaching rituals and, you know, rules and regulations. And he was teaching love God and love your neighbor. And that's it. Period. No rules. No rituals. No regulations. Zero. Love God and love your neighbor. And if you do that, you've done it all. He says that. You've obeyed everything in the Bible right there if you do those two things. So it was the religious leaders that were losing their religious people to a different way of thinking that, wait a minute, it's not about being religious. It's actually about really being good to one another, (laughs) really being nice people. That's what it's really about, like really loving people and treating them right and loving God. And they killed him. They killed him. And we celebrate Easter because he rose again. And we know for sure that that he was right. He was right. It's not about rules or regulations. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. A church should be all about helping people to love God and love their neighbor. That's what it's about, loving God and loving people. God wants to erase your guilt. He wants to erase it. He wants to wipe it out. He wants to eliminate your shame. He wants to give you a brand new start. He doesn't want you to feel like your life doesn't matter. He cares about you more than what you can imagine. He has the power to make those changes in your life that you can never do on your own. So how do I get God's grace? How do I get it? In Ephesians 2.8, it says, saving is all his idea and all his work. So it's nothing I did. I can't do anything to do it. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. That's it. Okay, God, I'll trust you. I'll allow you to change me. I'll trust you. I'm going to heaven, not because I'm good, but because you said it, and I believe it. You died on the cross for me. I I believe it. It says it's God's gift from start to finish. That means it's always been God's gift, and it will always be God's gift, and you'll never get there any other way. No human being is ever going to be good enough to reach God. It's 100% a gift from God. He's good enough to reach you. In James 4, 6, Through eight, it says, God gives grace to the humble. So let God work his will in you. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. He said, wow, I need God. I need God. Say a quiet yes to God. 
right now. Just hear me talk. No one will even know. But you have the ability right now to say, okay, God, I'm saying yes to you. I open up my mind so that you're there. I'm going to trust that your grace is going to make the difference in my life. It's that simple. You just open up your mind and say, yes. Yes, God. Yes. There's nothing fancy. A lot of times I'll say, hey, and I'll do this later today. Hey, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Pray this along with me silently. There's nothing magic about the prayer. It's the point that you say yes to God. Boom. He's yours. He's yours. All I did, God, was say yes. You're mine. That's all it takes. All it takes is, I love you. Will you marry me? And you say, yes, I will. Okay, it's done. It's like that. That's what God wants to do. And he'll give you the power to make changes. Even in your relationships and marriage, when you think it's, it can't be changed. Number three, open your life to God's love. No one's ever going to love you like God does. He loves you unconditionally. People are going to let you down. Your own dear mother won't love you like God does. You know, so, and my mom, I'm pretty sure, loves me a lot. But she can't love me like God does. No one's going to love you like that. He cares about you more than what you can imagine. And he proved it by dying on the cross for you. Look at Ephesians 3. I pray that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. So he comes inside. You know how I was saying the Holy Spirit lives in you? That's what this is talking about. And that you will be able to feel and understand how long, wide, deep, and high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves. Some people know it. Oh, I know that God loves you because they've heard it all their life, right? Everybody says, God loves you, God loves you. Oh, yeah, I know that. It doesn't mean that you understand how long, wide, deep, and high his love really is for you. God wants it to go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Oh, yeah, I know God loves me, but God wants it to come a part of your heart. And when you understand how much God loves you, it helps you to love other people in a deeper way. Why is that? Well, because what's God's goal? Love God all, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How does he teach you to do that? By loving you. By loving you. By loving you. Then you get it. Because the deeper you understand God's love for you, the more you're going to understand how to love other people. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, we throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. See, we think the door is shut on God's side because, yeah, he's ready to zap me because he, I'm, cert, I'm certain he doesn't like me. Some people feel like, you know, I can't walk into the, a church building because lightning will strike, you know. So we, we think the door is shut. So we open up the door to God only to find out his door was open all the time. It was open all the time. It was my door that was shut. My door was shut to his love. He never shut the door. He would never do that. I would never shut the door to the love I have for my kids, no matter what they did. No matter what they did. I would never shut the door of my love to my kids. Okay? And I'm imperfect. And I'm a sinner. How much would God not do that. In 1 Corinthians 16, 23, he says, Jesus has his arms wide open for you. His arms are wide open. He, what that means is Jesus is welcoming you. He's saying, come, come. 
God's not mad at you. You might think he is. God is not mad at you. He loves you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. Easter gives us the power to start over in that marriage, in that relationship, but it starts with me. It starts with me. I have to make changes. I've got to open up my mind to God, the possibility that he can change me. I have to open up my mind to God's grace, that God accepts me and loves me as I am. Open up my mind to God's love. No one's going to love me as much as he does. If I want to have a great marriage, it starts with me and my relationship with God. At that starting point, all the stuff I'm going to talk about over the next six weeks will work. But if I don't have a changed heart, if I'm not open to the love that God wants me to have for him and other people, it's not going to work. I need God's love in my heart for me to really have a healthy marriage, for me to really do it. It takes a lot of love because life can be hard. Life can be hard. I need a lot of love that only God can give me that much love. We're going to close with a prayer like I was mentioning earlier, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray this prayer along with me silently. And if you choose to, you can make a commitment to God right now. I would encourage you not to leave this building without knowing, without a doubt, I've said yes to God. You can pray this along with me silently in your own mind. Let's pray. Dear God, I'd like a fresh start on life. I don't want to stay the same. There are things in my life that need changing. So as much as I know how, I open up my mind to your power. Open up my heart to your grace. I receive your love. Lord, I don't fully understand it, but I'm saying yes to you, Lord, yes to you. I'm believing that you have the power to change me. I'm going to trust in you. I'm tired of trying it on my own. Lord, with your help, I can do it. It's in Jesus' name that I make this commitment. Amen.